Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, it's good to be back. Unbelievable. I missed you all last Sunday. Um, I thought maybe I should just share a little snippet or two of our trip. Um, last, last Tuesday, a week ago, I returned Thursday. Well, we got home Thursday morning at 3 o'clock. So, um, we had a wonderful trip. So, we left, when we left in 2013, we visited in 14 once, but then it's been five years since we visited. And so, we didn't know exactly what to expect. We had a little bit of communication with a few over the few years, there five years. So we just went back and found such receptiveness and love, and we just kind of soaked it up. We felt like we received way more than we were ever able to give this past week, and I just think it was a great blessing. It, it reminds me of how the kingdom of God is, where there's people of God then God flows through them with his attributes of love. And so we went back and we got to enjoy that in Central America, Belize. Um, we had a lot of good visits, some healing visits, and um, met some new people, new members of the church, um, very godly young people. It was, a, it was an exciting time. It was a very warm time as well. Um, and we were so happy to get home and get in some air conditioning and start drying off a little bit. All right, so I'm going to be looking at a parable today. And parables are always dangerous because you can always, you, you can try to over-interpret them. And I don't want to do that. But Jesus used parables to bring out Spiritual truth for a story. It illustrates spiritual realities. And so I believe it's our job as Christians to prayerfully look at parables and try to unpack them, the truths that are behind them, and apply them to our lives. So the passage I want to read today is Matthew chapter 25 starting at verse 14 through 30. It's the parable of the talents. And I didn't come to this message in Belize. I didn't come to it um, a month ago. There was just sort of lined up with my devotion. as far I'm at reading my devotions and the message I heard recently. And I was considering how Every subject of God's kingdom, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that names the name of Christ is extremely valuable in the kingdom of God. And anyway, I will go ahead and read this portion of scripture now. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Jesus speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. 
and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of the servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servants. You knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You so you ought to have deposited the money with the bankers, so, and, and at my coming I would have received my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to him, to everyone who has more will be given, and he who he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus ended a lot of his um, parables with, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We know that's talking about eternal punishment. It's not a pleasant subject. Interestingly, though, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven, and I don't want this to be a negative message. I hope it can be encouraging and challenging, um, as it was to me as I studied so, we have this story. What I'd love to do is start at the beginning and figure out basically what the park represents. So, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Who was the man? And I believe this man is Jesus. John 14.3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So this parable is to unpack spiritual truths that they yet didn't understand. 
we're on the other side of it. We have the privilege of looking back and saying, okay, so Jesus died and rose again. He charged the disciples with, uh, with command and gave them power, and then he went to heaven with a promise to come back. He went to this far country. And so that answers the second question, I believe. It's the far country with heaven. So Jesus was foretelling what was going to take place. So they have this, this man was going to travel to a far country. And I believe this was Jesus, that he was going to leave them and go to heaven. And he called his own servants and delivered them to put down his goods. Who were his servants? And I, I wrestled with this a little bit. But I believe that the servants are the servants are you and I in the context of time because the servants before we were born was the previous generation and the servants before that was the disciples so when Jesus left he left all of his authority in the church to the disciples, and they went out and made disciples, and then they passed off the scene, and then it was the next generation's turn. And then they passed off the scene, and then it's the next generation's turn. Well, folks, we're, it's our turn now. So I believe that the servants are you and I. We're the servants of the Lord. So, we can take this personally, that this passage is speaking to us. And so he delivered to them his goods, the talents. What are they? Um, side note, scholars disagree a little bit on what a talent would have been worth in Jesus' day. Um, some of my reading would say um, 20, one person thought 20 years of manual labor, uh, for a laborer, 20 years, um, that could be $600,000 U.S. Um, somebody else, more conservative, says anywhere from 1000 to 30000 It's a lot of variety there. So I guess the matter, uh, amount doesn't matter that much. Um, but what, what are the talents? So I, I really wrestled with this one, what the talents are. Because some people want to go straight to the English word talents. Well, God gives you a talent for these things and tell Bible stories at Bible school and he gives somebody else another talent and he gives somebody else another talent and therefore you're supposed to use a talent for God. I think that is included. Um, somebody else says, well, it's money, so therefore it's money. Um, that doesn't quite work out all the way either. Otherwise, if God gave me $50,000, then I am supposed to biblically be shrewd and invest and be careful and build this $50,000 to $50 million. Um, that, so I don't think that necessarily lines up either. So, um, I want to flip to a scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. This kind of helped me to a 
an answer, at least one I'm satisfied with for now. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, and then 11 and 13. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Hold it there. Grace was given according to the measure of the gift. So grace itself wasn't the gift, but grace was given according to the measure of the gift. Continue there. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Okay, so we still don't know what the gifts are, but we know that he gives gifts. And then verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the working of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, those are some jobs. But I believe that maybe a a, a rough version, if you will, of what this gift is is an opportunity for responsibility pertaining to the kingdom of God. And with it, he gives grace, the power to do it. So, and doesn't that line up? A steward, a steward does not have ownership of the things that he's taking care of. He has freedom to invest as he feels necessary, but it's not his. And a steward lives for the day of viewing this back to his master and hear, hopefully hearing, well done, good job, you did an excellent job, and then maybe some reward. That is a steward's desire, a good steward's desire. So, An opportunity for responsibility. The more talent the five talent guy, he had more opportunity and more responsibility. And it was based on the master's understanding of his capability. And the one fellow received two. He bestowed upon him two talents worth of responsibility and opportunity. And the other guy, he gave him one talent to manage. So Jesus ascended to heaven with a certain promise of return and gave responsibilities of opportunity to the disciples with grace. And grace is equated with power to do it. All of that for the purpose of building up the church. Alright, back to the parable. Matthew 25, looking at verse 15. 
And to one he gave five talents, another two, and another one. From this we can see God never asks too much of us. I know we think he does sometimes, but God really knows us, I would assume. No, I, I believe God knows us better than we know ourselves. And it says he gave this responsibility, this opportunity, based on their ability. And so if God gently places upon us responsibilities and opportunities, we can say, yes, Lord, by your grace. Yes, Lord, by your grace. And carry that burden. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But yes, nothing is possible for us without his grace. But the grace is promised. So we, we can only, this only works if we take the promise of grace with it. So. So verse 16 through 18 here is our age of opportunity. This is the most important window of time in this whole parable. The table is set, the gifts are given, the charge is given, and he's gone, and he will be back. So there's this time frame. In the passage, it's interesting that it only uses up a couple verses, three verses, a short section of that in between, and afterwards, a long section talking about judgment and reward and working through the aftermath. And yet the most important part, really, is the middle part, what are we doing with what God has given us? What are we doing with it? That's where this played out. The two that said, well done, that the Lord said, well done to enter into your reward. This is where it happened. The one that said, cast him into our darkness, this is where it took place. And that's where we are today. We're in that inter- intermediate. We have this opportunity. It is not too late. God is merciful and patient for us to take his promises, take his grace, and act upon it. Here's where we find ourselves. So, the first two invested wisely in the kingdom, and the last guy buried his opportunity. And I wanted to go back to the thing of stewardship just a little bit. The stewards of the Bible, they were either slaves or free. It didn't really, there was both. But in all the cases, they were taking care of somebody else's possessions. Um, Joseph was an example of a good steward. And he's almost, Joseph almost lays right in the scripture here where he was in the prison and he was faithful. He was faithful in that prison, though he didn't feel like being faithful. And then God put him on the throne, practically, to be the steward of Pharaoh. And it was almost as if God told him, you are faithful in these little things. I'm going to now put you over many things. So, stewardship is me taking care of somebody else's possession, and a good steward does it 
with utmost carefulness and with wisdom. Um, and so, as we are God's stewards, there's nothing that we have that is truly ours, that we created or that we thought of. Everything that we have is really given to us from God. And so we are stewards. And if we get switched from stewardship mentality over to ownership mentality, then everything changes. Um, how are we doing? How are we doing in that regard? Are we holding on to the realization that it's all God's, and I'm here for season, and then He's returning, and then I'm going to give account of how I lived for the kingdom and invested in the kingdom? Are we living for that day so we can give it back and say, see, Father, these are the things that I've done and I've, I've sacrificed because I love you? Or are we going to hang our head and say, Lord, I'm so sorry because I, was, I thought I was too busy or I thought it cost too much. Or whatever our excuse will be, um, I really think that when it's time to stand before the Lord, all of our excuses just kind of get little, really little, and we're so embarrassed to even verbalize them. Um, so, verse 19, we come to judgment. Are you looking forward to judgment? I guess if you are then you're living right. And if you're scared, then maybe you need to check your life. But I think we can have peace and look forward to the day when we hand it back to the Lord and say, here it is. I'm so excited to show you and to give back what, what I've my life and not have regrets. One thing interesting that I noticed here in the judgment, the two fellows that got it right. In this parable, at least, the reward was the same. I kind of like that. The reward was the same. The amount that we are entrusted with or given has nothing to do with your reward. It has no out, it has no impact on your outcome spiritually. I had to think that maybe um, the fellow's one talent. I could imagine that he felt I just got one. He's already got seven, and he probably started out of one, too. There's no way I'm going to catch up. I, this is impossible. I don't know if he's the first thing went for his mind. Um, but the amount that we have been entrusted with has nothing to do with how much God is going to be pleased with you in the end. You see that in this story of judgment. It's about it's about yield. It's about 
return on investment. Okay, I'll get into that a little bit more. But here's another thought I have: is judgment is 100% God's territory, and I can be a judgmental person. But that that's going back to my most base human. Um, sinful, carnal side, that I would look from my heart to somebody else and think, they probably started exactly where I, where I did. And I understand them through and through. And I can see how much flaws they've got because, you know, I can, there's no way I can do that because I don't know how much God gave. That's the one thing. I don't think these men necessarily looked around and, and saw, he's got one, he got five. I only have two. I don't think they knew that necessarily. And neither do we know each other to that level. God knows. And, and we don't. So, I can't judge. God is the judge. So, my responsibility as a Christian, part of the church, is to challenge and encourage, no matter what, and be faithful. And watch out for my own soul. Um, back to the amount doesn't matter thing. I wanted to look just real quickly at Matthew one verse, Matthew thirteen, verse twenty-three. This is the parable of the sower, and it brings it illustrates something. Thirteen twenty-three. It's right at the end of the good seed. It says, For he who receives seed on the good soil, on the ground, is he who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred fold, some sixty, and some thirty. Some a hundred fold, some sixty, and some thirty. What that means is, I should get a farmer to explain this, but if I planted one seed, and if it gave me a hundredfold, it gave me a hundred seeds on the head. That's a hundredfold. And if I planted one seed and it gave me sixty, then that's sixty, and then one seed and thirty. So, what it does not say is, it does not say, um, he who indeed bears fruit and produces some a million bushel, some 500,000 bushel, and some 250,000 bushel. It does not say an amount. It talks about a yield. It talks about an, a percentage above what was planted came forth. We don't know the size of each other's field or how much seed God's invested. Only He knows that. And all we see is, well, he's a 10-bushel guy, and she's a 14-bushel gal, and, and I'm just a 3. You know, we, that's kind of the level of judgment. We have no idea what God is doing. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, I want to be faithful. I want to be backed off on judgment and, and more encouraging, and it's an area I want to grow in. It's about the rate of yield. That's what pleases God. That's what gets God excited. It's the rate of yield. Return on investment. Would you plant corn in your garden 
if you knew that every kernel that you pushed into the dirt would grow a stalk that would have one cob, and on the corn cob on the head would be one kernel. The whole row, your whole corn patch, would you do it? That would be ridiculous. Just save the corn in the bag, eat it. But you're not going to go through all that work just to get another bag the same size full of corn. Um, that reminds me of the um, new businessman who um, drove down to North Carolina with his pickup and filled the bed full of watermelons for a dollar piece and drove back up and parked by the road and sold them for a dollar piece. And he did that for a while and realized his business model wasn't working, so he bought a bigger truck. It's kind of funny. That's not a good business model. You know, Jesus made a huge investment. Jesus made a very big investment, and that's not a business model. He's interested in either. Romans 8.29b says, We are predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, that He, Jesus, may be the firstborn among many brethren. Many brethren. Jesus was, in a sense, planted, if you will. And when He came forth, it brought forth fruit unto life in many brethren, and I have to try to understand it this way. If Jesus died for me only, and he was judging me based on that, am I going to be a one kernel cob when it comes to judgment day? Or am I going to bless and reap many others so that this scripture would be true that I would be able to reach many brethren. So Jesus, we are not raised up to lift ourselves. Jesus raised us up to bring forth fruit. And moving back to the parable, verse 24 through 30. The sad Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here's what's yours. Where did he fail? How did he fail? You know, I have to give him a point, at least one point. He didn't lose it. He wrapped it in a napkin, or the other version of it. He wrapped it in a napkin. He took good care of it. He hid it in the hole in the dirt, and he remembered where to dig it up. Um, I suppose there could have been a lot of different reasons for his um, action, for his fail. I believe the number one reason for his 
falling short here was his improper view of God. Because it, it reveals that right here. He says, I felt like you were a hard man. An unstable, unpredictable, I can't trust you. You set me up to fail. Um, I think fear of failure connected with that was a, was a part of it. Um, Have you ever, or have I ever, declined an opportunity due to fear of failure? I'm pretty sure I have. There was probably an element of procrastination in, involved. I can understand that aspect of it personally. Um, maybe the hole in the ground was a secure spot to put it until that perfect investment opportunity shows up. And it just never quite did. So maybe a lesson is not always waiting for the perfect scenario before we would yield ourselves to be used, but just to be willing and invest. But I really feel that all of these things go back to his improper view of God, which can be brought right into our relationship with God. And so, heaven or hell, which is it? Judgment will tell us, based on our works, which way we're going. I'm not speaking a works-based religion here. But our works are so connected to our belief in God. Our belief in God is tied directly to our relationship with God. So if we love you, we're going to heaven. Because our works. Kingdom of God is very complex. Um, each woman, each man, and boy and girl is extremely valuable in the kingdom of God and in the church. Is needed in the church. I believe that God placed each of us in this segment of time, in this generation. To fulfill his purposes, if we're willing to fulfill his purposes and work for his kingdom in this time. Um, and I, I'm not going to get medical here on you, but there's doctors around, but in the body are so many systems. There's the hand alone, there's so many systems going on right now. And if any one of those systems would become flawed, there would be pain, there could be sickness. Our bodies are extremely um, what's the word scripture says? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. The church is a body. The church is the body of Christ. Um, I read a little bit from Ephesians. I'm going to quickly pop over to Ephesians 4 again. 
just a little tiny bit further from where I've read verse um, 15 and 16. But speak the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, talking about the body of the church, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot of words, but it's speaking about the body of Christ, and every part is important. Um, Romans chapter 12 for another one, a little bit similar. Four and five. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So everybody counts. Everybody counts. It hurts when somebody leaves. When somebody falls and sin, it affects us all. But when Somebody prays, it affects us all. Um, young children that have faith, you are important. You are valuable in this kingdom of God. So we are loved with an incredible love. Let us live and serve out of that love, out of a relationship with God, not born out of some fear that judgment's coming. That's what the one fellow did, and it didn't get him anywhere. We have to somehow switch over to a relationship to live this Christian life and invest. And one last verse out of Ephesians 5, verse 15 to 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I will stop there. God bless you. That was all.